Isaiah chapter 46, verse number 10, says, well, let's read verse 9. Um, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country, yea, I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass, I have purposed it, I will also do it. Now we're going to continue to look into um, the doctrines of grace, and we'll begin our study on the doctrine of election. And the first thing I want to do, and this will be the message for this evening, is to consider the God's decree. God's decree. So before we get into the doctrine of election, we're going to step back just a little bit and look at God's decree. The Lord our God is a sovereign God. He does whatsoever He pleases, whenever He pleases, and always as He pleases. And any right view of salvation must take that as the overarching thing. I really think that people have error in the doctrine of salvation because they start in the wrong place and then work out from that wrong place. They start with man. They start with our experience, what we, what we think and what we feel in salvation, and then work out from there to start with man's free will as the, the ultimate starting place, and then, from that perspective, going out and uh, trying to tie that to what God has done for us. But I believe the correct view and the right view is to start with God as God. That God is, as the Bible declares him, sovereign. That he does whatsoever he pleases. And by starting with that uh, we can, and starting with God's decree, we can see as the Bible declares what God does for us in salvation. Louis Burkhoff said, God has sovereignly determined from all eternity whatsoever will come to pass and works his sovereign will in his entire creation, both natural and spiritual, according to his predetermined plan. Now, unless you're just an open theist, everyone, every Christian would confess that God is sovereign. And for God to be sovereign, that would also apply to his will and his purpose and his decree. God's decree is also in the Bible called his will, um, his, his appointment, his purpose, his predestination, his good pleasure, his thoughts, his counsel, uh, his foreknowledge. So it is... It is God's plan and purpose being worked out according to his will. So God will, God has decreed whatsoever will come to pass, and then in his providence works that out. But it is the the idea, the doctrine, 
the biblical doctrine that God declares all things that, that will come to pass. He has decreed it. He has purposed it. He has ordained all things to come to pass. So the last couple weeks we considered how it is and why it is that we are born sinners. And we've seen that the scriptures tell us that because of the fall of Adam, we are born into this world um, guilty in Adam. Our wills are held captive by our sin. What the, 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 the error and the Arminian theology is the belief that our wills are capable of going beyond our human nature. That our wills are capable, our, our, our determination has the ability to do something that's outside of its own nature. Well, the Bible says that we are we're captive by sin. That we're, we're enslaved by sin. And we have the freedom of our will to do whatsoever we please, but whatsoever we please is sinful and contrary to that of God. Well, how is it that we're saved? Well, we find that we are saved by God's glorious grace. And by first starting with God's decree, then looking at God's decree to save um, individuals in Christ Jesus, which is the doctrine of election, we can see how God's good purpose is, is carried out according um, to his wondrous grace. And so as we think about God's decree, we need to remember and approach this topic in faith. What we learn about God's decree comes from Scripture. Now, to believe the doctrines of grace, people say that we follow a man, we follow men's theologies. Well, no, this is a biblical doctrine. Um, that God's people have believed since um, the Bible days. The Apostle Paul talked of the sovereignty of God. Um, Isaiah, in our text, spoke of God's decree, God's sovereignty, and, and that he does whatsoever he pleases. So this is not the doctrine of man. What we know about God and his decree comes from Scripture. Now, if that's the basis, we have to be careful not to go further than Scripture goes. If, if the Bible doesn't tell us something about the decrees of God, then we're not just going to assume that, or we can't um, try to fill in the blanks where the Bible doesn't speak. So what we do is we trust God's word. We trust what God says. We believe what God says, and we believe God's self-revelation. Who better to tell us about himself, who better to tell us about God than God himself? God perfectly knows his mind. God perfectly knows his will, but God perfectly knows his power and his sovereignty and in his goodness and his graciousness has revealed himself in the pages of Scripture. And we trust that God has given us what he wants us to know about his decrees. And so if it's not in the Scripture, then it's not for, then it's not for us to know. So we will believe everything that the Bible tells us about God's sovereignty about God's decree, about his providence, about his election. We will believe everything that he says, but we'll go no further. So we want to, to go as far as scripture goes, but we don't want to go further. 
and just trust God and his self-revelation. That being said, we also approach this topic in humility. There are things that we're just not going to be able to understand. And as we study God's sovereignty and his decree and his election, there might be questions that come to mind that you would like to have answered, but there's just not a biblical answer for them. Or there might be things that we just can't grasp that the scripture clearly declares and and you start rolling around in your mind and, and, and you just have problems grasping it. Well, there are going to be things about God that we just can't fully wrap our minds around. That's to be understood because God is an eternal being. He is not like us. There is none like God. There is none else. And so there are some things about God that I can't give you a metaphor or illustration and say, well, it's like this, because there is none like him. And so whenever you deal with concepts that with God, where there's nothing else like that, then yes, it can be difficult to wrap our minds around. But that is a humbling truth, isn't it? So this kind of puts us in our place, too, when we come to these truths, to know that even with all the revelation that God has given us, and um, even with maybe years of study and, and thought, they're just some things that are difficult for us to mi- wrap our minds around. So what we do is we humbly bow before God's um, self-revelation. We humbly bow before the Lord and, and receive the truth. God's decree and man's will and his responsibility don't need to be reconciled. And so one problem that people have is they try to to reconcile man's will and God's will, man's responsibility and God's sovereignty to the point where they just sort of take one, take man's will over God's will or so forth. They don't have to be reconciled, right? Because they're not competing truths. They they are biblical truths. Now, you might not be able to reconcile those two in your mind and your understanding, and, and, and that's okay. But it's not because they're contrary to one another. Right, So if, if you look at this and say, well, what about man's will? And what about God's sovereignty? And you have in your mind trouble reconciling those. Know that the truths don't need reconciled. They are God's truths. Even though we might have a hard time bringing them both together at the same time in our mind, it's not because they're contrary. It's because we have problems reconciling them in our mind, not that the truths need to be reconciled. I think Spurgeon said that he he gave up trying to do that. He said because when he realized they were old friends and they didn't need reconciliation. He was the problem, not not the truth. And so those are just some thoughts to to lead into this, how we approach the decree of God. Because God has declared the end from the beginning. From ancient times, the things are not yet done Say, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. That is God's decree. That from before time, before the foundation of the world, God had determined, predetermined,
counseled, um, decreed that which would come to pass. The end, even from the beginning. So much, not just big things in world history, not just the overarching theme, but even down to calling a bird from the east. Or down to the conversation of a man. God has purposed it. God will bring it to pass. Acts 2.23 says, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. So there you have the counsel of God, the determinate counsel, the, 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 um, the purpose, the deliberate deliberation and counsel of the Godhead is God's decree. So uh, let's give you an, I'm going to give you another definition here. Um, uh, a Baptist confession of faith said that God hath decreed in himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of his will, freely and unchangeably, all things whatsoever comes to pass. So from the falling of a leaf of the tree to the war in Ukraine to the birth of a child, to the death of a country. God has ordained and decreed from eternity all things, freely and unchangeably. Whatever comes to pass has come to pass according to God's plan. Um, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, His eternal purpose according to the counsel of His own will, whereby for His glory He hath foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. And so our sovereign God in eternity had decreed everything, every person, every event, every birth, every death, every, every war, every hair on your head. And not in a successive event. So um, it, it wasn't that God began a story and said, I, well, what should happen next? Okay, now that this person has done this, now that, that I brought Abraham into pass, what should happen next in, in the story? Okay, well, well now he's going to have a son and, and so forth. That's how you and I would write a story. Or we might start at the, start at the end and, and write a backstory. And, and Elijah and I were talking about an author who who has several books about the same world that he built. And he's got a history, and he's got um, side characters, and um, he's got different rules for the little um, fictional world that he has created. But I read about this author, and it started out, he was telling a story to his, his boy. It's just a little story he made up telling to his boy, and then he ended up writing that into a book. And then he decided, well, you know, I could expand this. And so he expanded it from there and went back and kind of filled in the gaps. That's not how God's decree works. God's decree has decreed all things, not in time, but, but the, the end from the beginning. And so that's why, um, the, that's why theologians will say that it was God's decree, not his decrees, not his individual um, purposes, but his, his purpose in all things. Um, again, that's hard to wrap our minds around, but, uh, but, but 
God, there is none like him, right? There is none like our God. So that, that's what we talk about when we, that's what we mean when we talk about God's decree. The second thing we look at tonight is God decreed in himself. So in Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 11, we find that our God has decreed all things in himself. <clears throat> in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him, who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. So all things that God has decreed, he has decreed within himself. It was his purpose that he worked out all things after his own counsel of his own will. So God did not go and seek wisdom from someone else. God did not go and say, what are the what is it that I'm able to do in this in the, in the earth and then I'll work within that he doesn't say what will man do that I will create and I'll work within what men will do but God's decree is within himself it was after the counsel of his own will so he doesn't seek outside counsel he doesn't seek wisdom or advice from somewhere else but all God's decree all of his purpose comes from himself. He decrees all things within himself. And so he doesn't rely upon us to determine what he's going to do. Paul here talking about our salvation said that we were predestinated according to that purpose in him. Not according to the purpose in you, not according to the purpose of my will, according to the purpose of his will. Not according to the counsel of men, but after his counsel. His purpose. So all of his decree is decreed within himself. So the, the third thing, and we've already dealt with that a little bit in Isaiah 46, is that God's decree is eternal. So God decreed in eternity. Not in time. There are some that in order to protect their doctrine of the freedom of man, will have God decree in time. That will have God sort of look into the future to see what man would do in their will and then decree in that regard. But no, God declared um, the end from the beginning. That, that God decreed in eternity, before the foundation of the world, before creation. God in himself, decreed in eternity. And so, it, it leaves our decisions and our actions out of, the, out of it, because we were not there, right? You were not there in eternity past. I was not there. So that leads us to the fourth point, is that God decreed freely. The London Baptist Confession said, God knows everything that could happen under any given circumstance or any given condition. However, his decree of anything is not based on foreseeing in the future or foreseeing that it would occur under such conditions. So God decrees freely. You know, man is very concerned about the freedom of their will. There's free will Baptist and uh, doctrines of free will and promoting free will and so forth. Well, what about God's will? 
It's interesting that men who love the will of man and will, will defend the will of man will do so at the expense of the will of God. To say that their will must be in the forefront of their salvation and God's will must take a back seat. Or that man's will in what is good and what is right and what ought to happen must take a back seat to God's will uh, to which he has, to what, to what he decrees. And that's why um, to follow this out to its logical conclusion means that God is at the mercy of what men must do. And that's where you get with, you know, eventually with open theism, that God is at the mercy of what man decides. And God reacts and decrees according to the purposes and will of men. But God decrees freely. God has a, God's will is free. Because God does whatsoever he pleases. Your will is not free. Even if you, even if you said that you do whatever you please, the fact remains that you don't do whatever you please. You, you might do whatever you're able to do, but that's far from doing whatever you please. I've known men that lived and did whatever they pleased until they died. They lived by their own rules. They lived by their own uh, way of life. They lived by their own morality. They didn't care what other people thought of them. They didn't care what society uh, said. They didn't care what the scripture said. They lived however they pleased until they died. And they didn't want to die, but, but they, they could only do, quote unquote, whatsoever they pleased for so long. They, di- they can't do whatever they please. They are creatures bound by time, bound by their own nature. Adam could do what, what he pleased. He had the ability to do either good or evil. But once Adam sinned, our, our natures are bound by that sin. But God, who is sovereign and who is, who is uh, all-powerful, can and does whatsoever he pleases. And so, in Ephesians 1.5, notice what it says here having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Now, why did he predestinate us? Why were we adopted? Did God look down through the, the, the halls of time? And say, oh, there's a nice child, I'll adopt them. There's one that'll be useful. There's one that'll be strong. There's one that'll do a lot of things for my name. He didn't adopt us according to the goodness of what you have done, according to the good pleasure of your will, but to the good pleasure of his will. And so God freely, unconditionally, decrees whatsoever pleases him. And so God does whatsoever he pleases. He does it so there's a delight in God's decree. There is a, a joy, we could say, in God's decree because it's according to his good pleasure. 
Why do things happen the way they do? It's according to the good pleasure of our sovereign God. He has decreed it so. And so God decrees freely. He's not under the constraints of any man, any purpose, or any other purpose, any other power, other than his own good pleasure. And so when you consider God's perfections and his eternity, his his, uh, omnipotence, that he is infinite, he is holy and just and righteous, then we can can say and know that he has freely decreed whatsoever he pleases. Fifthly, God has decreed unchangeably. So his decree is unchangeable. Got another quote from Burkhoff. He says, Man may and often does alter his plans for various reasons. It may be that in making his plan he lacked seriousness of his purpose. He did not fully realize what the plan involved or that he was wanting the power to carry it out. And so, you know, I, I did that as a child. There, a child's imagination is a lot very big, right? And you might you take a 10-year-old boy with a big imagination and too much time on his hands, he can come up with all kinds of plans and schemes and, and so forth. And, and I started out, I've made a lot of things, you know, a lot of plans I was going to make something or build something, and I'd get about halfway through and didn't realize what involved, what was involved. And I didn't have the, the capability, the money, the finances, and all lots of other things to carry out the plan. And that's not just children. All people do that, right? We just get a little bit more mature in our decisions. But we make plans. And we get halfway in and realize we're in over our heads. We get halfway in and say, wow, this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. But God... Nothing of the kind is conceivable. He is not deficient in knowledge, veracity, or power. Therefore, he need not change his decree because of mistake of ignorance, nor because of inability to carry out. He will not change it because he is immutable and because he is faithful and true. So, God, in eternity past, decreed the end from the beginning. Everything that that has happened, he has decreed for it to to come to pass. Now, what would come about to cause God's decree to fail? Well, he would have to lack the power to carry it through. The Bible tells us he is all-powerful, so that can't be it. Well, he would have to lack the knowledge of things that were to come to pass. Well, the Bible tells us that he knows all things, so it can't be that. Or lack the, uh, the uh, ability to fully realize what was involved in the plan. Well, the Bible tells us he is all wisdom. So that couldn't be true. And so the more that you think about why God would need to change his plan, or why you need to change your plans. Think of all the plans that you've made that you've had to change. Well, why is it? Well, 
something outside of your power came to pass. Uh, plans change. Uh, uh, your will changed. Your desire changed. Your finances changed. Your health changed. God is not deficient in any category. So whatever God decrees, he is wise enough and, and he's all wise and all powerful. And it will not change because there's no reason that it ever could change. That's why Psalm 33, 11 says, the counsel of the Lord standeth forever. It does stand, and it cannot but stand. It cannot fail. Hebrews six seventeen says, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. The unchangeableness of his counsel. What God declared to Abraham could not be changed. It could not be shaken. And so I think we can start to, to apply these things and, and think how these truths apply to us. So if God promises everlasting salvation, if God promises eternal life to those who trust in Christ, the counsel of the Lord standeth forever. We start to see how it is much more comforting truth to rest in God's decree for our lives than it is to, to, to desire to have our own free will. Um, things happen that I don't like. Things happen that I wish that they wouldn't. We've, we've got a room full of people who are we're very sick, and I don't wish anybody, I wish everybody in here was, was healthy and, and strong and wasn't a thing wrong with us. But God, in his good pleasure, in his good purpose, has decreed hardships to come upon even his people. Now, I can't tell you why those things are, but I can tell you that the good and loving Heavenly Father has decreed it so. And it's not because it took God off, off guard, it took him by surprise. And it's not because God couldn't stop it. It is that God in his holy will, in his good will, has purposed it to come to pass for some reason that is beyond our understanding. And so what we do is we trust him. And we say the counsel of the Lord standeth forever. That God is good and he is eternally good. And in his good and holy counsel, he has decreed for me in my life at this point to go through this trial. And I'm going to trust him. And I'm going to know that, that this was ordained to come to pass in eternity past. And that God has a plan and that it will be carried out. And that he has chosen me as his own and that all things work together for good. To those that love God, those who are called according to his purpose. And so we rest in this unchangeable decree. Because God decrees righteously. And so... Um, God doesn't tempt um, all things that God does are righteous 
and all of God's ways are righteous. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God is not in, in, like the, uh, uh, the, the Greek gods who are full of mischief and spite. I was reading a little bit about um, some of the Hindu goddesses um, yesterday. And there's, there's one goddess that is kind of like the sovereign of the earth. And I saw a picture of her, and boy, just uh, demonic looking, the, the, the statue. It just evil looking, fangs and horns and, and all those kinds of things. But just a trickster. Not good, not loving, not kind, not gracious. All powerful, but, but capricious. All powerful, but vindictive. Well, our God decrees righteously. There is no darkness in our God. There is no sinfulness in our God. And what God decrees, he decrees for good. And even the things that happen that are bad are decreed for the ultimate good and glory of of himself. But we must know as the scriptures say, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Again, this is another area where you start to, people start to have questions and start to say, well, you know, what about this scenario? What about, um, you know, what about uh, little babies getting sick? What about natural disasters and so forth? God decrees righteously. There's nothing unjust about God. Everything that God does is just and righteous. Within God's holy justice and righteousness, God can show justice to people, and God can show mercy, but God can never be unjust. I think uh, uh, R.C. Sproul uh, said that, but but if you think about it in that term, God is holy, he is righteous, he is just. Everything that he does is just and, and right and true. And so when he deals with people, he can deal with people in mercy or he can deal with people in justice. But in both regards, God deals justly and rightly. It's not that God deals mercifully with some people and then it's not fair to other people. It is that in, in all people, God deals rightly, either in mercy or justice. God will either deal justly with sinners or deal mercifully with sinners by dealing justly for their sins in Christ Jesus. But all things God dec- decrees are righteous. God's works are true and good. And so we take these truths about God and and what the scripture tells us about his decrees, and know that, that all things that God does, does all things well. God is not a man that he should lie. It says in Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and he shall not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? God is not like you and I. 
He doesn't lie. He doesn't make promises he can't keep. God decrees faithfully. So he decrees righteously. He decrees faithfully. Um, Number eight, he decrees wisely. So we read that God does all things according to the the good purpose of his own will. The counsel of the Lord abides forever. God deals in wisdom. And and all things that that happen, happen according to his wise purpose. So, for example, in the book of Acts, chapter number 4, and verse 27... Peter and John answered um, well the, no this is the prayer of the church it said for a, of a truth against thy holy child Jesus whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done So, you read the Gospels, and you read Pilate you know, talking to his wife and, and, and pleading with the priest and pleading with the people. I'll, well, I'll let Jesus go, and, and, you know, what about Barabbas? I find no fault in this man. And you can just feel his inner turmoil, knowing that Jesus didn't do anything wrong, knowing he was being railroaded, but, but fearing the Jews and fearing the people and fearing his own life. And you, can just, you can just read and feel what he's going through back and forth and, and the decision he has to make and, and thinking, well, what should I do? Should, should I do what is right? Should I do what is just? Should I do uh, what will keep me from getting in trouble with Caesar? Should I do what will keep the peace for the most people? What should I do? Well, obviously, in the end, he chooses um, death for Jesus Christ. Both Herod and Pilate and, and the Gentiles and the people of Israel all gathered together against the Lord Jesus. The Jews shouted, crucify him. The Roman soldiers nailed him to the cross. Pilate uh, sentences him to death. Herod, um, likewise, they all chose to do so according to the counsel determined before by God. That God had wisely ordained all things and all people and all events to, to come together there at Calvary. Whether it be Pilate and what he did, and the Jews and what they did, and the Gentiles and what they did. And all the people there in the Gospels, and all the events that got set in play, uh, Judas, who took the 30 pieces of silver, who went and conspired, who went and sold the Lord, who went and betrayed him, was according to God's decree, according to God's purpose. So, well, does that make Judas a robot? Well, would a robot go and hang himself out of guilt? Judas didn't say, well, I had no choice in the matter. The scriptures declared that I was going to do it. Jesus said I was going to do it before I even did it. 
So it was God's decree. It's not my fault. I didn't do it. God is to blame. No, he went and hung himself out of guilt. He took the money and threw it back to the, the priest and said, I, I can't take this money. He was overcome with guilt. He didn't repent. He didn't turn to the Lord. He didn't ask the Lord Jesus for forgiveness, but he went and hung himself. That doesn't sound like a man who, who was uh, coerced into doing something he didn't want to do. That sounds like a man who did exactly what he wanted to do and, and, and felt the weight of his guilt and condemnation. But God, in his decree, brought all these things to pass, and he did so wisely in his great wisdom according to his purpose. And so that brings us to the ninth point, that God decrees um, efficaciously or with great power. What God has decreed will most certainly come to pass, whether by God's direct power or by providence. God brought the children of Israel to the the Red Sea. They They were trapped. Pharaoh had them trapped against the Red Sea, and God decreed that they would uh, go across the Red Sea and by his great power parted the sea. God in his great power decreed that they would escape. He decreed that he would show his great power, and he brought it to pass in a miraculous way. But God also can decree and bring about by providence. Um, In Luke chapter 2, and verse number 1, this is an interesting text, if if we think about it in this um, light, what the scriptures are telling us here. Luke 2.1, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And you know the rest of the story. Joseph and Mary Going to go pay their taxes. Mary's great with child. And as they're off to go to pay the tax, they end up um, they end up in the foreordained place where the Christ would be born. If you ask Joseph why they were on the road, we'd say, Haven't you heard? There's a decree from Caesar that all the world should be taxed. What do you mean, what am I doing out on the road? Joseph, why do you have your have why do you have Mary out here? Great with child. She should be home. She shouldn't be out on the road. Well, haven't you heard? There's a decree from Caesar that all the world should be taxed. I don't have a choice in the matter. Caesar has decided he is decreed. He is the, the ruler. He's got all the power. We have to do whatever he says. But isn't it interesting that behind that was the decree of the Almighty God that the Lord Jesus should be born in that end, at that appropriate day, in that, at that, that time, in that hour? Why were they there? Well, Caesar decreed it. Why did Caesar decree it? Because God had decreed it. God had decreed it, and it was prophesied in the Old Testament that it would be so. So it is the omnipotent God who had decreed and brought things to pass. And and through providence, the providence of a wicked Caesar laying on a heavy tax, God brought his decree to pass in time and providence. So God's decree is powerful in that he will bring it to pass. 
And lastly, God decreed comprehensively. Whether it be the good works of men or the evil works of men. Ephesians 2.10 says we are created, or we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God has ordained that his people would walk in good works. That is his will. That is his decree. And he brings it about in us. So the good works we do is because God has decreed that we do them and brings them, brings them out in us. But also, wicked works. We already read in Acts 4 about um, Pilate, but look in Acts 2 and 23. Peter brings this, to pass, or brings this out as well. In Acts 2, verse 23, him, the Jesus, being delivered by the determinate counsel and full foreknowledge of God. Why did Jesus die? It's according to God's eternal counsel, according to the, the covenant of redemption, according to the eternal covenant that the Lord God had made that he would save his people from their sins, that Jesus would come as a sin sacrifice to die for the sins of his people. He was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Peter says, ye have taken and by wicked hands crucified and slain. There you have the the counsel of God in the sacrifice of Jesus. There you have the responsibility and the wickedness of man with wicked hands taking the Lord of glory and crucifying him and slaying him. God decreed comprehensively, whether it be good, the good works of men or decreeing the evil works, though he is not responsible for their sins. He is not the author of sin. God has decreed even the, the evil that men has done and uses that according to his holy purpose to accomplish his will. It doesn't take away man's responsibility for those sins. But it also doesn't take away God's sovereignty in his decree. And so we end up where we're beginning, or where we began, in humility. To come to a truth that we might have a hard time grasping. Knowing that those truths don't contradict each other. They don't need to be reconciled. But we just need to humbly receive these truths by faith and trust God's word and his self-revelation to us um, of his person. I pray the Lord.